Hey guys, what's up? Matt here. Welcome to the episode of Coffee is for Closers. Today, here with Pat once again. Hello. And what are we going to be going over today, Pat? We're talking about team building and uh, maintenance. Okay. If you like that kind of stuff, stick around. If you listen to this podcast, you will make your first million within three years. We're here to make podcasts. You really want this. You listen and review. Building a team. So, you just got back. So, observably, to the audience, uh, nothing's happened because we batch recorded a bunch of um, podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you were gone for a little while. You just got back from the States. You went over there to do a retreat. Uh, And I wanted to discuss with you, um, not too long ago, I remember when Sales Sniper was Fitness Sales Sniper, and it was just you. And now... There's Those are good old days. <laughs> Tell me about it. Less money, more work. <laughs> it's a dream. But now uh, there's like 150 odd people. And I want to talk about a little bit about the journey from start to finish on that. Yep. Right? And then not just the building of a team and its necessity, but the maintenance and the um, you know ongoing training of a team. Yep. When did you decide to like, okay, this is bigger than me. I need to bring in more people. Like, like significantly more people or like a couple of people? Anyone, like even one person. So I brought in James relatively early. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I was sort of doing the thing and cold calling people and I was selling like, I probably had like four or five gyms that I was doing the sales for. Yep. And then I just realized like, all right, it's actually, like there's, there was so much demand for the service because, and I can see now why, because like nobody in their right mind would do it. It's a really difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like I'd been working with James for in the gym. We had a good working relationship. So I was like, James is good at fitness sales. I was like, I get him on the phone. I can double the amount of output, double the amount of money. Should be pretty good. Yep. He, but like when I went to him, he was like, I'm not like working for you. I'll work with you. And I was mm-hmm. like, all right, fuck it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I brought him in. We quickly realized it was kind of a better relationship if I was on the phone. And then he would do all the kind of like background stuff to make sure that like I was able to just be on the phone, mm-hmm. you know, help with the invoicing and the administrative requirements around all the sales and, you know, just like kind of look for stuff, client facing, all, like, all, like all that kind of good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from then, like we were kind of a team, we were doing stuff. And again, like the demand was just massive. And so we were like, well, like, what do we do now? So I guess we're like, we'll bring on a sales guy. And Marco was that sales guy. Okay. Yeah. So that's how the team went. It was you, then James, then Marco. Yeah. And then just started filling out after that. Yeah. And then we got a guy, like I put up one ad, it's the only ad I've ever done for like uh, a salesperson. And it was like, I got one answer. And it was Jimmy Reese Hopkins, who's in the UK, who's like our head of training. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was a sales guy. So like, then I had a UK sales guy and I was like sweet because a bunch of the inquiries I was getting from the UK it was really odd mm-hmm. um, I don't even know where they came from I don't know how they found me I don't really know how that all happened like I was posting stuff on Facebook but like just personal Facebook mm-hmm. and I think it was just referrals yeah. people were just talking about it because like no one had done the service before or maybe not to any sort of degree of efficacy um, so yeah I was just kind of like you go here, you go here. And then all of a sudden, like, I was like, we had more inquiries. So, like, I reached out to a few guys I knew who had done fitness sales before, got them on board, and just kind of started to grow. Mm. So, we weren't really a team. We were just kind of, like, me, James, and Marco were kind of a team. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like, Jimmy as well. But, like, the other guys that we had, it was just kind of, like, coming and going. Yeah, okay. So, 
What was it like for you then, that sort of initial handover of control? Because one thing I've noticed is like what you're very good at now is just like uh, that's your job, you do it. But a lot of it is your reputation on the line. You're the outward face of the company, but there's a lot of people – like just say in my department, for example, there's probably four or five people that have – like that we post on your behalf and therefore we have the logins to your – I'm logged into your Instagram – and the like, what was that like? Now you're very comfortable with it. You do it all the time. It's no big deal. But that initial handover and loss of control, I imagine that's what inhibits a lot of business growth from people. Yeah. Is, is that like, I no one can do it as good as me, uh, which is probably true. Oh, it's definitely not though. Like, I mean, I was talking it. to, I was talking to Will Hinkson and I, and I was, you know, like there are like Anthony, for example, like is just vastly superior to me in like a few really key ways. Okay. Like he's so much more detail oriented. His ability to like dissect an account and then like implement the changes that need to be made is vastly superior to mine. Mm-hmm. My like my my main thing which I do better than most people is abstract problem solving. Okay. That's really it. Yeah. Like I'm good at seeing very difficult problems and going like it seems like a good idea. Let's try this. Mm-hmm. And it works out most of the time. So like, um, but like, you know, that, that the implementation of that solution, I kind of suck at. Okay. Right. Um, but I know that. So I just, you hire people who are much better at that, mm-hmm. you know, which seems to kind of make sense. Like, uh, you know, James, the reason why I got him is because like, he is a detail oriented, like sort of more fastidious person than what I am. Whereas I'm just more like big picture. Yay. Let's kind of do the thing. But did you hit any resistance with the first time that you were like, Hey, you do this because I'm going to do this. You know, having been doing everything yourself for, you know, a pretty long period of time. I don't know, man. Like I, no, no, not you really. You didn't hit it? No, I just. Okay. That, that, that eliminates advice on how to overcome that. You just never, you just well, never encountered it. Well, I think like I never, I don't think I, I didn't encounter it because like, like why hire people that you don't trust? Mm, yeah, okay. Right? So like I'm lucky enough, like I hired, I've known you for what, 15 years? Something like that, yeah. Something like almost 20 years. Like fuck man, like if you if you can't replicate my voice as well or pretty close to as well as me, like then who can? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. You know, so like what's the point? Yeah. And and then I think like people are going to fuck up. And I think, I think one of the problems is people just think fuck ups are way bigger than what they are. Yeah. You know? Like when that setter a little while ago fucked up and started trying to pinch people from other things, I was like, ah, who cares? Like everyone's forgotten about it already. Like mm-hmm. what's the point? Everyone's memories are so short. And so like the fuck ups, especially if people are somewhat compartmentalized, it's difficult to do a catastrophic fuck up. Mm-hmm. I can ca- catastrophically fuck up. Mm-hmm. Like if I do something or say something or, you know, like I'm the one who can make the largest mistake. Mm-hmm. So like everybody else is somewhat compartmentalized in a way where it's like there's a mitigation of any risk of them doing anything too badly, mm-hmm. which is what bu- like bureaucracy is. Yeah. You know, it's one of the reasons why like the U.S. government is set up the way it is. Like it's just hard to get shit done. Yeah. yeah. You know, it just mitigates a lot of the risk. And so I think it's like I just I just know that other people are a lot better than me than shit. And like I was talking to Will Hinkson, who's the CEO of Sales Sniper, like at the retreat. And he was like, I was like, I fuck, you're way better at me at certain things. I'm still better at you at certain things. I fucking hope to God you get better than me at those things. Mm-hmm. Because like if, why hire someone if you don't think they can be better than you at it? Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. So one of the things, you know, did you ever face any resistance in the idea of, you know, we preach putting out a lot of content, um, you know, 
that this most of the sales and marketing that this company does is for coaches and consultants. Yeah. The the key to them is that building that know, like, and trust, creating a ton of content. In reality, once you hit a certain tipping point, you just cannot continue to create the content yourself. Somebody else has to take over and put that out for you so that you can continue to actually service the clients that that content has created. Yeah. Did you feel any resistance in regards to that, like, I'm no longer going to be editing it. I'm no longer going to yeah. have the final say on what comes out. And and how did you feel sort of when you hit that point? When you first – because you just have that editor in Andre, right? That yeah. was in Yeah. So when you first were like, here's, here's – I filmed it. There is a bunch of different takes. Make the best one and post it on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. I think I didn't have that – for personal Facebook, I still have that. Mm-hmm. Like I don't like – like I don't let them do that. Yeah. Like they want to do copywriting on my personal Facebook and I hate everything they do. Yeah. It's like, nah, I wouldn't say that. Yeah. And like I'm – but I'm a good copywriter. Mm-hmm. So I can – for myself. Like I'm yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? So I'm, a, I'm good at doing that. I know what my audience wants. I know what they want to see. I don't like when things get accidentally po- posted on my personal profile because like I know that medium so well that I, I don't like things happening without my say-so or approval because mm-hmm. I know what the audience will react to, mm-hmm. right? But I was really lucky with Andres because Andres did two jobs. He did content curation and editing, even though he was just an editor. Okay. So I, I really lucked out <laughs> with a guy that could consume the content and then go, oh, this is the best way to put that together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that was pure dumb luck. Okay. He was a referral. He's like, Hey, he's a great editor because I didn't realize like that's two different jobs. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people mistakenly think you just hand stuff to an editor and they can just make brilliant shit out of it. Now in a vlog, that's the editor's job pretty much, right? Is to sort of make that look good. But when it comes to infotainment, which is essentially what we do, right? Information in a somewhat, enter- well, hopefully entertaining manner or at least engaging manner, right? right? We're trying. Um, we're trying our hardest. <laughs> um, like that's really hard to put together because you have to understand the concepts that are kind of being espoused. So like just handing that to an editor is tough. Yeah. Uh, and we've been luck- really lucky with, with Bouge because, yeah. you know, he puts it all together and he can make interesting things and, um, you know, put out quality reels, you know, from, from this podcast and stuff. So I was very lucky to have a good initial experience, mm-hmm. which probably left me to kind of hand things over um, a little bit easier. But also, like, I have probably to a fault too much of, like, a trusting nature where mm-hmm. it has burned me a few times when I've gone, okay, I trust you, go do this. Mm-hmm. And then it hasn't been done to a good standard. Is um, there an example of that you can talk about? Um, a lot, usually it's with like contractors, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like I've, I've hired contractors and just kind of left them to their own devices. And it wasn't until four or five, six months down the track that I kind of realized they're actually not doing anything, <laughs> Yeah, you know? And it's like, ah, I kind of, one of the, one of the mistakes that we make here is like, we really put in a lot of effort, put in a lot of effort for our clients. We really try and make things work. We go above and beyond like we just did a big, um, I can't say the name of the company because we're under an NDA, but a really big reshape of the Asia Pacific sales process for a very large company in the finance space. And they were like, we've never worked with a contractor that has come close to you guys. Right. Like the testimony they gave us was phenomenal Yeah. because we go above and beyond and like they're messaging this guy, you know, 11 p.m. on a Saturday going, we're trying to work through this and this and this and these guys like, fuck are these guys doing yeah and they got a standing ovation at the end of their presentation right <laughs> okay um and that's gonna we're gonna try and roll that out to the whole world of which we have a pretty good chance to yeah so it's a good payday for us when they're gonna get a good 
product. Yeah. But like we just kind of expect other contractors and people who come work for us to do the same thing. And so like it's why I hate hiring anyone from corporate and I've mm-hmm. made that mistake as well, like hiring people from corporate backgrounds. Mm-hmm. They're just not a good fit. Mm-hmm. You know, we've tried it a few times now and in what way? Like, so there's tremendous amount of, like, we have a good, I think we're fairly systemized here, like fairly, probably more than I realized, to be perfectly honest. Like there are systems and structures to kind of everything. Spencer does a phenomenal job of making that. Um, But it's difficult to hide behind those systems and structures because like there's like a responsibility and an accountability chart. So it's like, this is your job description. This is what you're responsible for. This is what you're accountable for. And there's like ways that Spencer can hold people accountable to those things. Mm -hmm. Whereas like in corporate, like people hide behind structure, Mm -hmm. you know? And so um, the sort of, you know, you know, like when we had that friend who went to customs. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like basically almost got fired for doing a good job. Yeah. And then did nothing. And they were like, yeah, high five. You're killing it, bro. That's what we want. You know? So it's like a lot of times in corporate, it's like, don't make waves. Yeah. Keep your head down. Just kind of do the minimum requirement. Don't make anyone look bad. It's yeah. like those businesses are making so much money. It almost doesn't matter. Yeah. Like we were talking to a really large company about helping them out with marketing and we still are. It'll be a very long sales cycle, but their branding budget was 27 million. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and what's the KPI they have attached to it? And they go, Oh no, they don't have one. Yeah. It's like $27 million and you don't have a fucking, like not a single one. Yeah, You have no Just idea spend it. if they're, if they're doing anything. Yeah. And like yeah. they could just be doing anything they want with that money. And yeah. like, but there's no expectation of a return. And like, that's just fucking crazy. But you, then, so imagine being in that role and then going to like a small to medium sized business where like you have to be like, you no, no, no. Like every employee has to get a five X return. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, and if you're not, what are you doing here? And do you think like a good way to explain that maybe is like in those bigger corporate gigs, it's just don't do anything that could derail the train. Whereas like what we're trying to do here is is speed the train right up. Yeah. And we accept that like sometimes it comes off the track. Like that's that's part of the Yeah. That when you experiment with it's part you of the fun, things, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like when you go for driving, the whole point is to get bogged. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, and then so you get then to you use your recovery stuff. Yeah, that's exactly, the good shit. Right? Um like 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 at the retreat it was interesting because uh you know, I think like I don't like to give it's a fine balance between like how do you give strong leadership, mm-hmm. but like still let people, I don't know, you're like, going to make mistakes, yeah. you know? And I probably err too much on like the, hey, we're probably going to fuck this up, mm-hmm. you know? But we're a group of highly motivated, intelligent individuals who will make the best of whatever fuck-ups we do. Yeah. And so like, the analogy I always use is like we're building the plane while we're taking off. Mm-hmm. And it's like if you want to be here, you have to be okay with that. Realize that every now and then it's going to be a little bit bumpy. Yeah. You know? Um but like it's more fun. Yeah. It's more challenging. And the people who are kind of into that, like they love it. They're like, yeah, sweet. Like we get to kind of be a part of something being built. Mm-hmm. Um, now, okay. how long that goes for, I don't know yet. But. Yeah. So then in your hiring process, you're looking for people you can trust, but probably beyond, but before anything else, do you think? But then also people who are adaptable and willing to experiment and stuff like that rather than people who are like, you know, uh, if the box isn't ticked, I'll freak out. Yeah. I think like, uh, like perfectionism is really tough. Mm-hmm. I think for any dynamic environment, like, you know, I think it was a while ago we were talking about good enough. Mm-hmm. Good enough is good enough. Yeah. That doesn't mean like, like, you know, we take a, we try and do the highest quality standard that we can at all times, but like 
sometimes you just got to go, fuck it. Like, let's give it a crack. Yeah. Like, this is as good as we can do with the information that we have. We might as well just get it out there. Yeah. Like, I'm never going to spend eight hours writing a script. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I, like, I just don't know how that's going to go. So it's like, I'll write a quick script, which I, based off previous experience and previous accounts and knowledge that I have, will be pretty good. W- could it be better? Yeah. <laughs> but, like, I'd rather just get it out there do the calls, listen to the calls, and then just refine it as we go mm-hmm. rather than, you know, doing the whole, like, you know, you have a perfect plan, then all of a sudden you get punched in the face. And it's yeah. like, what, what was the point of all that time spent? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And I think a lot of that comes from watching ridiculously complex plans be made for three days in the military. And then you get out there and you're like, well, that, well, that was fun. <laughs> yeah. It's all foobar anyway. Yeah. You know? Um, all right, so team building, let me sort of bring us back to that because I'm curious about, I think some people have their team building being very intentional. They then, you know, they decide like, oh, I, I've, I anticipate a gap. I'm going to build a team around that. And then others are like, oh, I have a gap. I'm going to fill it. W- where do you think you fall into that? Probably the latter, I yeah. think. A bit more off the cuff. But I think what I've tried to do which is intentional is just collect the highest caliber of human, Mm -hmm. you know, like that's what I see. One of my main roles here is like attracting high performing individuals. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you have a really good team, it's hard to fail. Mm -hmm. You have your ups and downs, but I think, you know, I look around at the team that we have and I'm like, man, everyone is like super smart, highly motivated. There's not many people that we have to like, especially on like a management level. Mm -hmm. Like there's no one who won't just put in the work. Yeah. You know, I think um, something that I observe for sure is that everybody here is kind of um, bought in. Yeah. Right? Like I think there's no one that – there's no one in the management team that I can observe anyway. Not that I see everyone doing their jobs, but that I think is just sort of this is my nine to five and that's it. Yeah. Like everybody is like, no, I'm part of this machine and I'm, I'm pushing it forward. Yeah. H- how That's I, very intentional though. Yeah, so that's what I mean. So like identifying that as a trait in someone – yeah. Do you, are you able to identify that and hire because of it? Or do you, like, when someone's in the system, that's how you progress them to management? It's a, it's, I think it's both. Okay. So, like, there's definitely people that we've just hired as sales guys and gone, oh, you've, like, you're the guy. We have to figure out a place for you. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so we're, like, trying to figure out. Like, there's probably the three, three of those most obvious individuals, four of most obvious individuals would be, or five, <laughs> sorry, Tony, Road, Shane, uh, Jeff and Sean. Okay. Right. S- highly capable, smart, dynamic. Like we'll be pretty good in any role we give them. So it's like, we just were like, come on in management and we'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. Right. Now that was like probably to the detriment financially initial because, and probably fucked them around more than what I'd care to say, because like we didn't really have clear and defined roles for them, but they just got to work and they filled gaps and they did stuff, mm-hmm. you know, like no one in sales sniper has been fucked around more than Tony Haddad. Okay. Elaborate. No one. Right. What happened? And here? he just got a sales sniper tattoo <laughs> at the retreat. I owe him 500 bucks actually. Cause I said, if you can close the deal while getting the tattoo, I'll give you 500 bucks. He did. Um, which we have footage of. Yeah. We stand by on. Yeah, that. yeah. Yeah. Um, but like he, he, he was like maybe the third or fourth sales guy that I recruited. Okay. So like it was Will Odoms, right? Uh, Will should be on that list too, actually, but um, he's not in management because he's just like straight selling. Okay, because he sells the shit out of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> so, and he's not. happy there. He does. Well, we had to. that chat, so we we moved him into management 
to you know what I mean? But yep. then I had a chat with him later on. I was like, I don't think like right now this is the right spot for you. Like, I think if you just concentrate on selling, like that's really where you're at. Because he had certain goals he wanted to hit, and I was like, all I'm doing is taking away your ability to sell. Mm-hmm. That's it, right? And like management will never, not necessarily capped, but if you just want to make money, sales is a spot for you. Yeah, and you can still be a leader in the community without being in management. Mm-hmm. Like Will is a leader in sales network, no question about it, but he's not in management technically, mm-hmm. right? But like when I need something done, I can ask him and he can get it done and he le- he's, he's a leader, mm-hmm. right? He's that um, dude in the team that like really should be a sergeant, but... Yeah, like, he's just so good at what he does, promotion. just keep him shooting people. Yeah, yeah. You know, what I mean? yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's a killer. Yeah. So, um, but like Tony has been on like every account ever. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And he's kind of the guy that when we need someone for an account and it's short term, it's Tony. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and, but like he's, and now he's like kind of like our, not HR, because <laughs> we call him HR, but he's making sure everyone's happy. Okay. Right. And he's on accounts as well. So why was he moving account to account? He's just reliable. Okay. Right. I've trained him. He's a good sales guy. Um, he's able to adapt quickly. He doesn't fucking complain. I know if I put him somewhere, he'll do what he's supposed to do. Um, and he sees it as like helping the cause. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, sweet. I'll go over here. I'll do this. I'll do this. You know what I mean? And every now and then he gets fucked around because it's like, we'll move him, but we haven't got him on an account. And I just realized in the retreat, I was like, you on an account? He's like, no, not right now. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> I was like, Jesus, mate, let me know, right? Yeah. He still gets paid like a fee for doing what he does. But um, I was like, oh, Jesus, man. Okay, yeah, we'll fix that right up. So I fixed it that day. Yeah, and then yeah. he stopped made a sale that day. Yeah, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all right. So, like, the team building has been somewhat organic. You have you ever poached anyone? Have oh you yeah, ever, hard. Yeah, yeah. And and why? Like, yeah, be as specific as you can. But like, who have you identified, or what was the trait? What was the 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 you know the hole that you were trying to plug? Yeah. And how did you how did you sweeten the deal? Like, um, why did they come to us leaving someone else? I'm in a uniquely advan- advantageous position of where seventh level is like a tremendously, uh, like it's just a great machine, right? Because it's the best sales methodology there is. So the best sales guys kind of gravitate to it because they figure it out. Mm. So like, I mean, I poach two people a month, you know, two to three a month, I would say. Yeah. Because that, like I do coaching in seventh level in the inner circle program. And so I get to quickly identify talent Mm -hmm. because like there's some people can, there's a really, some people can hear a sales guy and go, Oh yeah, he's good. Right. Or no, he's not good. Some people can hear a sales guy and go, he can be good. Okay. Right. So there's not many people that have the second characteristic. I can hear someone and go, you have potential to be good. Mm-hmm. I can also hear someone and say, you got no chance. You might as well just quit. Really? Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I generally don't say that to people. I have said it. Yeah. Like I've, I've seen people invest so much time and energy and money into sales training mm. where I've stopped them from doing like another investment and gone, you just, you don't have it. Mm. Like you'd, you'd be better copywriter or you'd be better this. Like you should. Have you said that to anyone and then they have turned out to have it? Not yet. I had a guy um, at the unit when I was, uh, you know, like your sub two corporal yeah. is the same as the AITs. Guy said to me, he's like, hey, Pat, you, like, it was hammering rain. <laughs> it was this horrible day. Yeah, yeah. It was just putrid life conditions. And we're sitting in this stupid pit together. And he goes, you know, selection's coming up. Um, he goes, are you going to be an instructor on the selection? And I was like, yeah, I am. 
Uh, and he's like, do you think, you think I'm going to make it? And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, what do you mean? And I was like, dude, I just don't think you are. I just don't think you're going to make it. And he's like, why? And I was like, I don't know. Like, I just. Just a feeling. It's just, you got all the things, but I just don't think it's going to pan out. Um, it didn't. Uh, <laughs> and I made goddamn sure of it. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure, like, that was the hatred and the fuel that he needed. Because he came back two years later and killed it. It's one of the, like, best shooters in the unit. Yeah, but right. But when he came back, he's a different person. Like, a, yeah, a yeah. different person came back. And that dude, obviously, Sometimes you can fail. make it. So I'm curious if you've ever, like, I, I think if, if anyone's ever written your name on the wall in lipstick. Oh, and, sure. and just been like, I'm going to be successful because fuck I, you, I am. I hope so. Yeah, that would yeah. be that'd be great, and I think there's definitely like it's just a it's just like a, if your decision making process after say twelve months of like really high quality coaching makes no sense to me, I just I'm like man maybe this isn't for you like mm-hmm. if, if it's taking you that long like don't get me wrong you can still fi- you could figure it out but I'm like how much more time effort and energy do you want to put into this mm-hmm. when from what I see you're a beginner right. like you're a straight beginner after a year or two years or three years, it's like, maybe this just isn't for you. Mm-hmm. And maybe that, maybe you can take the skills that you've learned and apply them to a different vocation or even a different industry. Because like, uh, I let someone go. And we talked about this. I let someone go because they just didn't have it in my opinion. And they crushed it in a different sales in a different industry. Right. You know? So like, maybe you just need to like get out of coaching and consulting and into an easier industry to sell. Like, Go sell recruitment or go sell something that's simpler. Go sell SaaS. Like SaaS is a crazy one because you'll get 150K a year base. Right. You know? So yeah. like, or even a 200K a year base. Yeah, because your sale is just going to be like one a year or something like that, right? Well, it's not even. Some, sometimes you're doing a ton of sales, but the value of each individual sale is so low. Right. Oh, okay. You know, like if you're, a slack, if you're a slack sales guy. Yeah, yeah, okay. How much comms are you going to make? Yeah, know? yeah, I'm with you. Or if you're like, like, a, like a stripe, you know? Uh, or something like that. Like sometimes it's just really small comms, you know. Mm-hmm. Paint merchant processing, like you can get a few whales. Like one of the guys just signed up seventh level. Like he's gonna make a fucking ton of money. Yeah, right. He'll make thirty grand. Of, or no, I probably make that. He'll probably make, you know, five to seven thousand a month recurring commission. Whew. Right, just from our one account. Yeah, you know, we'll be there for years. Yeah. So he's and I know that guy. He makes a shitload of money because he's got a bunch of us. Mm-hmm. You know, so. And the cool thing about that is he's super redundant. But anyway, that's getting into the weeds of sales. But um, yeah, so like I think when you when you find the right people and you surround yourself with the right people, but buying people into the cause and what, what I see, I think people fuck up a lot is like they're just so greedy, man. Yeah. Like I'm the opposite of greedy. Yeah. I don't like, don't get me wrong. I like money as much as the next guy. But I just like, I don't see the point in trying to like hoard it all. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I foregoed my dividend for the year. And I gave that as bonuses. Mm-hmm. I was like, I don't need any more money. Mm-hmm. But I was like, imagine how happy all these people would be if mm-hmm. they had more money. Mm-hmm. And then so I gave a shitload of $5,000 bonuses. Cool. And so I was like, and then I got all these messages going like, what's this for? And I was like, oh, done, dude. They're like, fuck, man, thanks. <laughs> like, And they're, yeah. you know, and so like for me, having an extra X amount in my bank account, like to be honest, like it makes no difference. Like mm-hmm. I don't even... I don't check my bank that much. I give it all to my wealth management guy. I, like, it's just there. Yeah, yeah. You know? So, it makes no difference. But, you know, and then the same with equity. Like, equity is, you know, people are like, hold on tight. It's like, yeah, but, like, I don't want to do this forever. Mm-hmm. You know? And 
if I want to be able to step away for a year, because I think there will come a time where I, where I will step away for six months and do fucking nothing. Like mm-hmm. we'll shoot a shitload of content. None of you fuckers will ever know I left. <laughs> right? <laughs> right. But I might just go, Hey, let's take the kids out of school for six months and spend six months as a family yep. in fucking Costa Rica yep. or whatever. Right. And I would like to be able to do that at some stage, whenever it fucking is, but then have a bunch of people who are as motivated, if not more motivated than me to, 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 see that as a challenge to grow the business while I'm away. Okay, so explain explain that a bit more because I think we make a lot of assumptions. You know, it, Talk to us, please, in the comments. If you're listening, um, you know, just audio, jump onto the YouTube, find the YouTube video, let us know in the comments because I think we make assumptions about the audience is that they're all Salesforce people, whatever, right? Yeah. And I think that you explain a lot of things. You just kind of gloss over a lot of things, right, that I think could be explained. So equity and giving it in the company – like, to what extent do you give that away and what does that look like in reality? Probably overly aggressively. Okay. Um, so we, we have a, a, a employee share option program. So very expensive, time-consuming to set up because there are, like, regulatory things that you have to have. But essentially, people have options in our company, mm-hmm. right? So, um, so, like, they're basically given a chunk of it, mm-hmm. right? Now, that has a what's called a vesting period, which is, like, you have to work here for 36 months. Once you're here for 36 months, you own that piece of the company, mm-hmm. right? And that can be however much we dictate, right? So we have key stakeholders and then we have, you know, who have equity. So which the main is me, Marco and James. Like we have the largest equity stake. And then from there, we have like some other shareholders. And then from there, we have our ESOP, right? And so like I own like 35%. Mm-hmm. Of the company, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. I could own a hundred, but I mean, like how how invested are the people going to be? Yeah, so like they're just going to get another offer. Yeah, no so matter how cool I am. So the whole reason you do that is to give people skin in the game, and and so that they're here beyond. I get paid to be here, but beyond they have a piece of it. A piece of this is theirs. Yeah, and they're as invested in its success beyond their paycheck. There's there's more beyond that. Yeah. So the, the way the the archaic way of describing it is called golden handcuffs. Yeah. Right. So like, let's say I give someone two percent of the company, whatever. Right. Now they might get it'd be in shares. Let's just call it like a hundred thousand shares. Right. So they would have a three year vesting period, and I might say, hey, you've done really well. I'm gonna give you twenty five percent of your shares with an immediate vest, like a forty eight hour vest. So it's like sweet. In forty eight hours from the time that we enact that, you own. 25% of those shares. They're yours. They're good to go. You could technically transact them, but that is now in on your wealth mm-hmm. ticket, right? Yeah. Because it's valued at whatever it is per share. So you got that for free. You know what I mean? Uh, and there's ways that we have to structure that so it doesn't fuck people's taxes. Yeah, I was going to say, so that's kind of the issue, like for but, people listening, they may not realize that if someone gave, if you gave me half of this company right now- You would get an enormous tax. Oh, bill. you would bankrupt me in doing so. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Big time. Um, but there are ways in which you can structure that to where yeah. that doesn't happen, right? And employee share option programs are designed to be like that. You know, so it's not just giving you chunks of equity. It does not how it works, right? Mm. So, and then I could go, okay, you get another 50% uh, 24 months after that, and then you get the remaining 25% 12 months after that. So mm. it's three years. You could do 10 years, five years, whatever. And everyone can be different. Like, it's the beautiful thing. There's no, there's very little rules with an ESOP as long as you have it structured correctly. So, but in doing that, it's like, let's say I have a rock star like a Will Hinkson, right? I pay him very good money, 
but he might get another offer. Um, but then he's like, oh man, but I'm, I'm 12 months away from getting my shares vested. It's like, fuck. So I'm giving up on all of this to take more income. Mm-hmm. So I'm giving up on wealth to take more income. And then what you can do is you can come to me and go, I've been, I've been made this offer and then we can match it or we can not. Mm-hmm. Or we can, you know, have a bump or whatever, or even provide more shares. Go if you knock that back and don't take a higher thing, I'll give you another fifty thousand shares. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh fuck, all right, cool. With a you know a twelve month vest. So at the end of that, you know, so it gives you kind of like options yeah. in order to keep really good people. Also, like those are dividend paying shares. So it means that like every the end of every financial year. You know, we have all the profit. So everyone's incentivized to not only grow the revenue, but grow the profit because they get their share in the profit. Mm-hmm. And then if we ever IPO or exit or ever, then they would participate in that as well. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, we're all kind of like, you know, and, and my job is kind of like the rah-rah sis boom dude is to buy in everyone on the ultimate vision, which is like the value of their shares. And it's like the decisions that we're making are designed, are designed to increase the value of the company of which you have a, sh- a share, a stake in, mm. you know? So it's like when I give you your initial shares, they're worth 10 cents a share. In five years, I want them to be worth 72 cents a share. Hence, you have 7.2 times the amount of wealth just by staying in the company, mm-hmm. you know? And so it kind of like, it, it kind of bonds everyone together. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think that's one of the things that sort of makes others feel a little bit more interested in the accountability of their peers, right? Because like, hey, where if you don't perform, it's not just you that is affected. uh, I am affected by your underperformance. Yeah. Therefore, like I will invest in you. I'll help you rather than just watch you fuck it up or or, like hope that you get fired because you you, you probably, it's very unlikely that you will. So we we need to work cohesively to to push the machine forward. And the way that we did it is somewhat interesting. I don't even know how much detail I can go in, but fuck it, whatever. Uh, Like, as we have like a top code, like subsidiary units and like, you know, like Sniper Media is a center Mm -hmm. business, the sales sniper. I didn't do it per business unit. I just did it for the top co. So that means that like everyone has to work together and it's like, yeah, if you need to do a little bit of extra work to help out these dudes over here, it's like, well, fucking suck it up champ because like it's all going up there anyway. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's all like, headed to the same funnel. Yeah, we're all we're in for a penny, we're in for a pound. Yeah, and so I think that like that's one thing that I see, I think particularly industry that we're in is like probably not being done, mm-hmm. where that's something that like I think corporate larger businesses have done a lot better. Okay, is like they might have like fun. I was told once like, oh, we have a great culture. I said, and the guy goes, no, you don't have a great culture. He goes, you just have a bunch of people that enjoy each other's company. And I was like, oh, that's a really good point. It's very interesting. And so it's What's like the a culture is people unified under like a singular vision. Okay. You know, and that doesn't, and, and, and good cultures can, can have conflict, mm-hmm. you know, like you have a good relationship with someone you can, you can have disagreeing ideas because like there's a, you're passionate about like the end state. Yeah. Whereas like everyone just getting along doesn't really mean much. Okay. You know, so I think that, yes, we have a culture where everybody gets along, but I think, like, especially the head shit, and the hard part is disseminating that down. So is everyone's unified. Before you carry on, what did you do with that information? When when you got told that you don't have a great culture, you've got a bunch of people that get along. Yeah. What did you change when you – is that – that's where the ESOP we, came from? We no, no, no. We, we created the scope principles. Okay. Right, strategic, you know, all, like yeah. all that kind of stuff. So you set out those values yeah. and said, hey, do you guys, you guys agree with this? 
Okay, yeah. good. You get to stay. <laughs> yeah, and then we kind of simplified it to lead aim fire. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, and then we started like I guess sort of trying to espouse to the lowest levels that like nobody is above, nobody is beyond the culture. Mm-hmm. Like, and so if if we're gonna have say in sales sniper, one of the big catch cries is team teammate self, mm-hmm. which is introduced by Will Hinkson, which is like a Marsoc thing. Yeah, yeah, you know, and it's like if you look after your team. And then you look after your teammate and then you look after yourself. You never have to look after yourself because everybody else is doing that. Yeah. You should be good to go at all times. Like when you're jumping out of a plane. Yeah. You don't want to be checking your own shit. Yeah. You want you <laughs> checking everybody else around you. Then they check you. Then you check you. And there shouldn't be any fucking mistakes. Yeah. Right. So um, it, like we try and espouse that. And so that that means that everybody is accountable to that. So if anyone fucks that up, like the newest guy should be able to hold Will Hinkson accountable and go, hey, man, that doesn't feel like it's in line with what we're doing here. And he should be able to go, oh, yeah, you're fucking right. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, so it sort of transcends rank, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and that's one thing that, like, James has done particularly well is, like, reiterating that at all points. Yeah. And so, and the hiring process has to reflect that. Yeah. So we, we've talked quite a lot about sort of the team building, um, but the training. So... You know, we have a big team. They're all really good. They wouldn't be here if they weren't really good. And yet, there's still a lot of training that happens. Uh, what What's the idea behind that? Well, is training something you do or is training something you did? <laughs> there you go. Well, I mean, like, well, you can probably talk about this more than me. Like, you were, you know, training people up in the military. I was just the dude who got told what to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> go and fucking go shoot that target. All yeah. right, cool, I'll go shoot that target. So, like, you know... Most of what I got comes from like, you know, in snipers, I just fucking shot every day. Mm-hmm. What else was I going to do? Mm-hmm. I only had one job. Mm-hmm. I can shoot. All right, cool. <laughs> I'll just do that all the time. Yeah. So like when you were running platoons, like what was your methodology behind that? Well, I think the thing with training is the ethos I've always had is that there's no such thing as maintenance, right? You're either going forwards or going backwards. And and if you think that you're maintaining, then you, you're actually going backwards because there are like in your day to day, you're never doing everything that will be required of you. And so training for me has always looked like the things that are outside of my day-to-day because I'm probably awesome at my day-to-day. I'm doing it every day and I get to test and adjust right there and then. I don't need to train Mm -hmm. what I do. What I do need to do in training is remember the entire scope of where I'm employed and then say like, I haven't done that in ages. You know, like I haven't haven't ticked that box in a long time. I need to go out and make sure that given the opportunity to do that live, I'm still, I'm still capable mm-hmm. and I'll do it in a controlled environment where, I, you know, I'm not it, like, if I fuck it, it's no big deal. In fact, I want to, I want to make mistakes. I want to push the limit of, um, you know, push the limit of completion, go, uh, that wasn't, that, that wasn't good. Go back, find the mistake, test and adjust, yeah. re- redo it. And I think that's the trick in, in training in, in any instance that's is, a really good point, putting it that way. Yeah, not training what you do, because you're doing what you do. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, we, we do run this retreat, uh, and I was like, who here role plays every day? And I was like, waste of fucking time. Right? It's like, just... I said, okay, raise your hand if you role play every day. And I was like, raise your hand if you have leads to call. And I was like, why are you role playing? Yeah. Just call the fucking leads. Yeah. Like, role play live. Yeah. You know, with people like that's your job. You should role play things that you suck at individually. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, oh man, I suck at thinking about objections. 
like maybe go and watch the video that's over here or um like role play that specifically yeah do a really targeted approach to your to your development and then you'll actually get better yeah like if you just it's really funny like in inner circle we have a facebook group for the inner circle clients at seventh level and like every third day, hey, I'm new to NEPQ. Any other newbies that want to role play? And I just write, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> I go, blind leading the blind, just show up to the sessions. Yeah. Don't fucking do it. Have other people started taking that over for you? Does it get like yeah. in the group yet? Yeah. yeah. It becomes the running joke of the culture. Yeah. You know. So the retreat, what 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 was involved? You What did you do there? What what happened? Just spit out fire like Dylan. Uh, no, it was, it was good. It came at a really good time because I think like- we I think you used that reference enough. No. We need to put oh, a yeah. video of yeah. like- Five greatest rappers of all time. Yeah. Dylan, 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 Dylan. We need to give that some context. So the video will be here. If you're yeah. listening audio, too bad. Get onto yeah. the YouTube. <laughs> Get on. <laughs> Just look it up. Dylan, greatest rapper of all time. Yeah. Um, so it came at a really good time because there was like a cultural shifting that we could feel- uh, within Sales Sniper itself. And it was the fact that, like, there is a clear and very deliberate and, like, obvious transition into focusing heavily on outbound. Mm-hmm. Now, it's like, sales guys and everyone just sees that as a fuck around, but it's like, it's what we see as the shift that's happening in the market because it's getting harder to book calls. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right? Just across the board. It's getting more expensive. And so, like, this is a way that we can... Like, mitigate that to some degree, right? And so, uh, like, really, really pushing outbound, 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 activity, 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 activity. Some people just didn't fucking like it. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, you can go fucking kick rocks then. I don't care, right? This is what's going to have to be done to be successful in sales for the next few years, I feel. Okay. And so... And you think that that's recession-driven? I just think think it's platform-driven. I think, like, the platforms are getting more competitive. They're getting harder to do things in. It's almost like... It's almost like it's very strange. It's like marketers figuring something out and then the platform's trying to close that. Yeah. You know, like it doesn't really make sense. It's like they're just trying to make everything as difficult as possible all the time. I don't really know why they're doing that. Uh, That's a great question, mate. I've been sort of genuinely curious about that myself, about whether they're doing things in order to defeat marketing. Because, you know, one one of the things they hate is – you being really successful with your ads, right? Like they want, they want you to have to work hard and they don't, and especially what they don't like is organic traffic. Right. And, and Instagram actually like he, the dude as Missouri or whatever his name is that runs Instagram, he actually reading between the lines in one of the things that he said, he, he talked one time about how much money is made on Instagram. And then he mentions like, but only half of that is actually made through Instagram they hate influencers. They hate the idea that you're wearing a product and then someone can buy that product because they saw it on Instagram without buying it through Instagram. Like they hate that. And so I'm curious about all the weird stuff that they do. And it always seems like you just figure out a strategy and then they change something. And I wonder sometimes like whether that is on purpose because they've got people that are like, hey, we see the trend, we see how people are interacting with the platform and how they're being effective in their lead generation. We need to change something to avoid that so that they have to go back to using our ads and paying a lot for it, right? Uh, versus it just happens to happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they change something somewhere else and the downstream effect is that it changes the way that leads can be generated through the platform. I, I don't know. And fuck if I can figure it out. No. I, 
I spend uh, all day staring at it. But it's like when, uh, you know, like uh, Declan and Emily, mm. right? So Emily Sky, big fitness person, they figured out how to make a buckload of money without mm. paying Facebook a dime. Mm. And do you remember? They like yeah, yeah. they flew them over. And yeah. like, oh my God, congratulations. And they fully, I think they just tricked them, to be honest. Um, and they were like, come into Facebook headquarters and meet fucking Mark Zuckerberg. And like, we're going to try and, you know, like you guys are the shiny example of how Facebook can be used. Hey, tell us how you did that. Galupo closed. <laughs> yeah. Like no more organic traffic to your Facebook pages. Yeah. Like that, lit- she literally broke it. Yeah. Like, so when they went there and they explained their strategy. Yeah. I hope he got paid to explain it because it literally like it shifted how Facebook worked as a platform because she made millions and millions of dollars with paying zero dollars to yeah. Facebook. Yeah. And they were like, I don't want that to happen again. Yeah. Um, so like it, it's very clear what their strategy is. They're trying to, you know, jack advertising prices up, but it's like they can't jack them up so high that it becomes unattainable for the average person. Yeah. You know, mate, like Facebook and Instagram is interesting platforms in that there's nothing in it for the creator you know, financially. So there's a lot of – so, of course, people have to monetize in some other way. They have to, right? Yeah. So, like, if you've developed an audience, which takes you a ton of time, you know, like, so, you know, in the dog space, there's plenty of people who have a reactive dog. Um, some of them make that – most of them make their dog reactive, right? But, like, they work in marketing, so they put in a ton of time to, um, you know – give their journey or whatever through Instagram, they get to, you know, 50,000, 100,000, some of them quarter million followers, right? And then it's like, okay, I've got this giant audience. How do I turn that into uh, money? And they always end up sort of, you know, affiliate links to dog beds or treat pouches or something like that, right? But so Instagram doesn't get any of that money. Like it's them just pushing the product. But if they were creating quality content along the way and then Instagram was like, hey, because of your contribution to the platform, we've made X amount of dollars. Here's some of those dollars. Then people wouldn't need to push those products away, which is what YouTube does, right? So like yeah. YouTube, no worries, advertise if you want, but we'll also pay you. So you have to now decide, well, there's going to be ads on my show. If I put in ads, how's that going to affect? Now people are doubling down on the ads, so it really has to be worth a while. And Insta- like YouTube actually pay creators. And yeah. it's a... It's, it, I mean, it's not necessarily a lot of money depending on your views and whatever, but it's what it's 50% of what they get. In some instances, it's actually more. They pay the creators more than what they make from the, the, the ad revenue on it. And that's what is missing from like Instagram and Facebook. There's, yeah. They don't pay creators. So they're not incentivized to make good content to keep people on the platform. Yeah. So they're stuck in this. Sort of an us versus them. Yeah. Whereas at YouTube, it's kind of like we're a team. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so the influencers are then stuck in this loop of like having to pay to get their shit seen. Yeah. And, and you can make good money on YouTube. Like, I mean, you know, our little channel makes like what, 600 bucks a month or whatever it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, if, if you, if that was scaled massively, like if you, it would be a ridiculous. The thing is we could stop making videos. It would still be 600 bucks a month. Yeah. Just like, taking over. It just ticks over. Yeah. So like you look at Casey Neistat, Casey Neistat was making, millions of dollars a month yeah. and then just stop posting and continue to make continues the money. to let it trickle in you know it just comes in yeah. um but yeah it's super interesting but kind of going back to uh the retreat like the point of the retreat so there was kind of a cultural shift going on and so we could feel it and it was you know what i mean so we're like okay we need to bring everyone together in the same spot and then like reunite people under mm-hmm. like a purpose what do you mean by cultural shift like we were sort of really focusing on other things you know what i mean it was like there was a transition of me out as CEO, mm-hmm. which although 
means nothing to them. It does. Yeah, yeah. You know? And then there is this like, oh, what is this scope? And then somebody said something about IPOing, which freaked everybody the fuck out, even though it was like, we're not IPOing. Like, what are you talking about? It takes years to even set that up. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then like there was a confusion between what is seventh level and what is sales sniper and all this kind of stuff. And so there was just confusion. And I think like everyone sees this, like the feedback that I get is like this, we are like a catchment for like troubled youth. Okay. Like we really are. Just like the military. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's because like my personality, it, like the people who are drawn, you can just look at the fucking analytics or like 22 year old men. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got the same demographic as Jordan Peterson. <laughs> you and Uncle Jody pay the right? same. You yeah. know? Um, and so, like, when they kind of get into here, like, they have me as, like, kind of the, the male figure that kind of is like, it's okay, we'll be fine, let's unite under a purpose. But then when there's, like, when those waters start to muddy, the, the, the natural pro- proclivity of that personality type is to freak the fuck out. Mm-hmm. You know? And so... And then we had like this, we had, I've fully fucked up because we had a couple of, like we had a, two big accounts give us notice. One of them ended up staying, one of them left, but it was all fine, but it was a really big account. And so I freaked the fuck out, like, and then signed up seven shit accounts. <laughs> right. And so what, <laughs> like. <laughs> I got to plug that hole. Yeah. Yeah. But I signed up in like four days. I just went fucking ham. Yeah. And so what that meant is that people were onboarded, fucked around, offboarded, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And so that created, I, I guess, probably like, a, does management really know what the fuck they're doing? Mm-hmm. You know? Which is fair, because people are getting stuffed around, and I, I get all that. Um, it was all kind of for a purpose. Like, you know, we are trying to figure shit, <laughs> trying to figure shit out, too. <laughs> um, and so I think, like, all that combined left us in a situation where we were, like, maybe not as strong kind of culturally and like as a team is what we could have been because everyone was being pulled in different directions and okay. there was scope was becoming a thing and sniper media is becoming a thing and it's like i'm stepping down to ceo and will's coming in it's like you know what i mean it's just a lot of shift so i think that that was probably poorly timed by me um and like the senior leadership team uh, in terms of everything happening at once so we just needed to come together and sort of reunite under a single banner and purpose and then kind of reignite and get a chance to, you know, shake hands and kiss babies. Mm-hmm. So that was really the purpose behind it. Um, so I gave some speeches about, like, you know, where Sales Sniper came from, what I had to do to make it what it is, the things that I'd done prior. Um, like, and I wrote down a list of questions on the plane that I thought people would want to ask. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I would just answer these questions because people won't ask them. Yeah, yeah. Because they just won't. But I'll, I'll I'll answer them anyway, and so I did went through all that, and I think I gave like like for example, like one of the questions like, what is my job? With your job, yeah, yeah. Like people don't know what my job is. Yeah, you know, they just think I'm the guy that rocks up, goes on camera, and drives a fancy car. Yeah, you know, which has got a fucking. <laughs> and I they're mean, not they're not half wrong, yeah. but and I you know like why did I make Will CEO? I made Will CEO because he is better at everything that I suck at. Okay. Like, I don't need people who are, like, better than me at the things that I'm good at. Because, mm-hmm. like, the things that I'm good at are niche, but I'm really good at them. Mm-hmm. So it's like I can continue to provide that function, you mm-hmm. know. But the things that I'm bad at, like, that's what I need them for. So and I'm not good at the CEO stuff. Yeah, I mean, okay. I am, but I'm not. So you're, like, 
I think sort of the way I think about it is in regard to sort of acquisition, you're the tip of the spear in that you're really good at getting it going, setting it all up, but like... Keeping it going. Yeah, not... Well, yeah. I, and I think that it's not that you're not good at that. You're just not interested in nah. it. Therefore, you're not good at it. Build it like, up, burn it down. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so like, instead of like... And that that's an entrepreneurial trait. Entrepreneurs will find ways to burn their business to the ground so just they so they can again. rebuild it. Yeah. You know? And I saw that and I was like, I really don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what like James is for. Mm-hmm. And that's what Will's for and all those kind of people. Like, and me and Marco are just... Like, Marco's a unique beast because he could start, run, and maintain. Like, he could kind of do, he could do the whole lot. He could do the whole lot. Um, but, you know, if I didn't have kids, I might do the same. You know, but time. And you were 27. Yeah, yeah. And I could be, be fucked. But I'd rather make less money. Yeah. Like, I've said that before. I'd just rather make less money, you know? Um, and that's really hard, especially for, like, some of the more corporate people that we've brought in recently. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, I'll just make less money. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Just make less, man. Like it's not a big deal. Like you know, oh, I make I make one million dollars a year instead of two. Oh, oh no. Yeah. Will you be okay? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. you know, like who gives a fuck? And as well, I think like having a fun work environment is really important. Like I enjoy going to work. Mm-hmm. I hope everybody else does. Yeah, it's a reason we provide food. You know, it's like come here and fucking enjoy yourself. Like we don't require anything, but you do the best you can. Mm-hmm. And, like, aim to do better all the time. And I, I think, like, that's what's missing from a lot of things. But I also think that that's, a, that's a, the youth of the industry which we're in that's reflected upon that. Yeah. Because, like, they want to they wanna, they wanna be thought of as the guy. Mm-hmm. And, like, I know that, like, I need to be thought of as the guy. But I'm also, like, I'll tell the truth. Like, I'm not, like, that guy. Yeah. Like, I'm the guy on camera doing all these things. But, like... And I'm really I'm good at convincing people to do things, but these are the guys you want running the show. Yeah, you know. But I I'll think, have the idea. I think to go full circle and sort of bring us back to our start point, so we can wrap it up. I think something that's really interesting that I observe here, um, when people come on, there's a lot of fear around making mistakes. There's a lot of concern, you know, like I have to prove myself. You know, I, I, I'm expecting to be micromanaged. Um, you know, because that's what their expectation is from elsewhere. Yeah. And then when they come into here and all the leadership team is like, here's a rough outline of your job. Go ahead and sort of finish filling it out. And yeah, people yeah. are like, but what if I make mistakes? It's like, it's certain that you will. Yeah. <laughs> with the, I mean, with what we've given you, I'd be shocked if you didn't. Yeah. And if you, <laughs> and if you make the same mistake twice, that would be concerning. Yeah. But like for sure make mistakes. Well, what's the conversation? Like I know we just hired, we hired a new content curator. So mm-hmm. Mary, yep. I'm sure. And you know, Booge came from a bank. Mm-hmm. I mean, that dude was fucking terrified to make a coffee the wrong way when he first came in. Yeah. yeah. Now he barely rocks up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in his defense. That's a is, fucking great job. Bro. This is a hard place to edit. Like one of the things with editing video, and I'm sure that it's in many, uh, uh, it's relevant to the audience. Cause so I'm sure it's good. in, it's in many things. But it's narrative. So if you get interrupted, you don't get to start where you were, right? Like yeah, you yeah. can't be like, you know, if you're adding up numbers, you can stop adding up and you can have a conversation and then you can go back to where you were. With narrative anything, even if it's just making reels, you're like every interruption costs you like five to ten minutes. You've got to go back, reestablish a story in your own head so that you can carry it on. So yeah, like yeah. that's why it, it's so much more efficient to be in an interruption-free environment like home. Yeah. Um, but – 
Um, yeah, Mary's doing great. She, she's just watching this, no, no doubt. But it, it's a case of like, you figure it out. Like, it's your job. Like, make it your own. Here's the outline of what we want. We want someone that can upload, analyze, do all the stuff and, and test and adjust. Like, see what see what happens. Yeah. See, like, if, if something doesn't come out at the right time, it's like, well, we, as long as that's not happening consistently, who cares, right? Yeah. Like, you, you you figured out, oh, that's that's a mistake. That can, that's a gap that I can plug. Yeah. I think, you know, there's a book called The Talent Code and, and, and in the stuff I teach, it's, it's basically the Bible. But the... The part on um, perfect practice or, or like what they call deep practice is about, you know, making mistakes and paying attention to those and going back, fixing it and then re, you know, re-establishing where you were rather than just glossing over mistakes. Yeah. And you see, that's how people never get any better at anything is when you, you make a mistake and you're like, oh, well, I made a mistake, carry on. It's like, no, like go back and address it. Not in a like really critical, like you made a mistake, you're in trouble. But let's figure out how that mistake got made because we're happy to have made it. Now, yeah. we, now we know we know how to fix that gap and we carry on. I find that most of the large leaps that we've made or I've made in my own development as a business owner uh, is like through fuck-ups. Yeah. Because you, you screw something up and you're like, oh man, like, I don't know how to do that. And like when you do something well, you've, it's unlikely that you analyze it. Mm-hmm. But when you do something badly and it's like, it's in your face, you kind of go, why did that happen? Yeah. And then you get an opportunity and I, it sounds so fucking cliche and stupid, but whenever there's a big fuck up, I always go, all right, cool. This is probably going to be a good thing in three months mm-hmm. because we haven't had one yet that hasn't been a good thing in three months because we get to go, all right. And this is like me and me and Marco work best in this scenario. There's a big fuck up or there's, Something like, let's say, like, for example, recently, the first time we've ever done comprehensive budgets. Okay. Right. And so it's the first time that also people have been given a budget Mm -hmm. where it's like, hey, you have $120,000 to spend on this uh, over the next 12 months. And like, you know, we didn't say it had to be over the year. And so we were in a situation where $300,000 is on our credit card in a week. (laughs) We're like, what happened? They're like, everyone spent their budget. (laughs) We're like, ah. Yeah, makes sense like that. So me and Marco, so, you know, uh, Tori in our financial meeting, she comes up to me and she goes, everything's fine, but we have this giant credit card bill. It's going to affect cash flow for a couple of weeks. We're like, I was like, if I make $100,000 this week, will it make it better? She's like, yes. And I was like, okay. So I went, I called Marco and I was like, we need to make $100,000 cash this week. And he's like, okay. And then we both went our own separate ways, came together and made it. Mm -hmm. I think we made like 150. Um, and so it's like, sweet. And, you know, and we learned a lesson of like, you know, don't like be more specific yeah. with how you should spend the money or like, don't just automatically approve because it's in budget. Yeah. Um, because we didn't plan on everyone spending it all at once. Yeah. And then like from that, we, we, we gain the ability to kind of like, we sort of reestablish our dynamic ability to make cash Yeah. because like I put me and Marco up against anybody on the planet. Put me and him in a room and say you need a million dollars. Be like, what's the time frame? Be like, sweet, we'll figure that out. Me and him can figure that out. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, there's and, a and but that you two love that shit. Like, yeah, it's not fun. only was that you like as you sort of alluded to, like you really that hundred fifty thousand dollars is very unnecessary. Like it, it was great to yeah. have, and certainly not saying no, but. You enjoyed the process like of that, making yeah. that way more than yeah. like. Oh, it turns out we got it, but yeah. I had a goddamn good. time I really on the enjoy way. having to miracle money. Yeah, but I've liked that for a long time, and I've always been able to do it. It's always been a little superpower of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, 
where it's like figuring out ways to make short-term cash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're really good at that. I like it. It's a whole, um, it's interesting, interesting equation to solve. Mm-hmm. And then you, you have to have a look at everything at your disposal. And then how do you do it without fucking yourself? Yeah. Because like anyone, like I could go out and sell $500,000 worth of coaching. Yeah, but, but I'd have you still to have work. to deliver have that. have to deliver it. Yeah. So how do you write things that are low deliverable, high value? Yeah. And then you've got to kind of get real creative and outside the box and start looking at things in different ways. And, you know, um, it, I think it's a really interesting thing. I think everyone should do it. Like every business owner should be like, you know, one, one of the thought experiments that I learned from a really uh, talented CRO of a very large company, he was like, every quarter he sits down his marketing team and his sales team and says, you need to send me a plan of what you'd do if you had zero marketing budget for the next six months. Yeah, yeah. That's a really interesting way to play it. And so I made all the sales guys do it. Like, write your plan. There's no leads for three months. What do you do? Mm -hmm. Because you got to make money, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, like, it forces you to kind of think outside the box. And that's where... I think usually most of the best ideas come from. Like I came back from just having face-to-face with everybody in Dallas. Like I came back with like a lot of really, really solid ways of tweaking our business model Mm -hmm. to be far more effective. Mm -hmm. And it's just because like you're able to input information from all different people and people like on the ground doing the thing. You kind of get a little bit of different insight, different insight, different insight after a few conversations and you can go, oh, I can see what needs to change here to make this more optimal. Mm-hmm. And that's the fun of, I guess, getting to do that. Yeah, for sure. All right. Okay, that's pl- that's the place to wrap it up. Sounds good. That's it for another episode of Coffee is for Closers. Remember, hit us in the comments. Let us know what more you want to hear. If you're still watching here, you're you're one of the OGs. You're, you're you in are. the click. You're in it. You're in the click. So give us you a comment. You have my respect. <laughs> Let us know. And that's all you should need. <laughs> Let us know what you want to hear going forward. Uh, Check out uh, a bunch of the other videos. There should be plenty of links along the way, and we'll see you next time. Boom. Bye. Put that coffee down. Coffee's for closers only.